0: Continuation of Acts of Yeshua's emissaries, Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse number 1. I started this portion of Acts chapter 27 on July 23rd. As you're turning there, Acts 27 verses 1 through 24 is an account of Shaul's trip to Rome. It is considered one of the finest ancient descriptions of sea voyage. Think of how many men have served as sailors, as captains, who've navigated this whole world at times of distress and when storms had come towards them. There were always men on those ships who knew the Lord and knew of chapter 27. I believe everyone has found their place now. Let us begin. Once it had been decided that we, and notice that, every time it says we in there, Rav Shul is not only speaking of himself, but he's also speaking of Luke, the one who actually was given the opportunity by the Rook to record the book of Acts. And that's why we have it today. We'll be introduced to some others as we continue on this journey together. So verse 1, once it had decided that we should set sail for Italy, they handed Shaul, Paul, and some other prisoners over to the officer of the emperor's regiment named Julius. So now, as we go a little bit deeper here, we see that it says that we embarked from the ship from adram which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of the providence of Asia. Is that speaking of modern-day Asia? No, but speaking of Turkey, going forward here. And we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now, as we go a little bit deeper here, we've heard of that name, have we not? Absolutely. Antistarchus was a Thessalonian. He was from Thessalonica, a Macedonian, and he was with Shaul. Where was it? Where, where did we first hear about that? In Acts chapter 19, verse 29. See, we're gonna we are to validate scripture upon scripture. Least we be led astray. And not walking with the teachings of both the prophets of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, and the Brit Hadashah, the apostles. So turn with me now to Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Because we are to test to see whether or not this is so or true. We are to be like the Bereans of old. After hearing Rav Shaul preach, what did they do? But they took out the scrolls of the Tanakh and they searched to see whether what he said was spoken of the prophets before. So verse uh, 29. So the whole city was in an uproar as one man, the mob rushed into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus. There's his name. Saul's traveling companions from Macedonia So here is our proof text that this man just not suddenly was a a new acquaintance to Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, but he had been with him. He faced the same tribulations that Rav Shaul also endured. And he did not become faint hearted because of it, because he knew Messiah. He was a Gentile from Macedonia who had been grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel into the olive tree. And he knew the spirit of the living God. He was sealed with the spirit of the living God. And he knew that when trouble and persecution came, he was not to shrink back and flee, but he was to stand with his brothers in Messiah. Let's go forward here. And so he accompanied him, Aristarchus, with the collection from the Gentile Messian congregations to Jerusalem. How do we know this? We go a little bit further in Acts chapter 20, verse number 4. Acts 24. So Peter from Berea, the son of Phyrus, accompanied him, as did Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica and Gaius from Derby, and Timothy, Antiochus, and Trimphimius from the province of Asia. And so this is what they did. As they went and they preached the good news, the Messianic community in Jerusalem was suffering. And so Rav Shaul, being inspired by the Rook, by the spirit of the living God, they took an offering from those people from the nations, the Gentiles, because where does salvation come from? comes from God the Father through his son Yeshua, the manifestation of the Father, by the equipping and the empowering of the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God. But it comes from the Jewish people. And so those who are benefiting spiritually, the Lord was speaking to these Gentiles, brand new former pagans who came to know Messiah. And those, they were benefiting spiritually, being grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. And so out of pure joy, because coming to know the Lord, you remember the time when you came first came to know the Lord? Being born again. All your sins were forgiven. You felt clean. You had a purpose and you had a calling in your life. And with that same joyous rejoicing, Of wanting to bless the Lord. They desired to bless. His people the Jewish people. And so going forward here. We see how the unity of the body of Messiah is being built. The wall of separation has been taken down as Ephesians speaks of. The Lord is bringing together. Born again Jews. And born again Gentiles. And they're becoming. One people in the sense that they're grafted in the commonwealth of Israel. You do not lose your identity when you come to know Messiah. Your national heritage. The Lord has established this. Let us continue. So now as we go forward, he went with Shaul to Rome also. Where do we find this? How do we know that as a fact? Let's now turn to the book of Colossians, chapter number 4, verse 10. Colossians 4, verse 10. And how does this start? Artistarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends greetings as does Mark and Barnabas, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so with this, we see that this was not a, just a short-time relationship. That Aristarchus also became a fellow prisoner. Why? Because of the proclaiming of the good news. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so in the future, in America... If preaching and teaching the good news, that you're imprisoned, don't think this out of ordinary. Why? Because you're proclaiming the good news. Did not Yeshua say, they persecuted me? Won't they also persecute you? But we're not to walk in fear, we're to walk in the provision of the Lord. And so we see what's going on in our nation, the nations of the world. And those of you who are listening on the broadcast, wherever you're living right now, do not fear what man can do. But what did Yeshua say? Fear him who can not only take your life, but for you to be eternally separated for God for all eternity. Yeshua said these words. If you deny me before men, I will what? I will deny you before the Father. Isn't it beautiful to know? We know what's going to be happening to us potentially in the near future, and we have nothing to fear. I see one day that those that go on our um, face page and they read about what we stand for, Or a woman is a woman biologically as God has created them. And a man is a man as God has biologically created them. And we're going to have to stand in the gap. Are these just mere words or is this the word of God, his truth? And are you willing to suffer for God's word and the truth of his word? Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to put upon your shoulder your execution stake, your cross, and follow him? Did he not say that those who are not willing to follow me must do what? Lay aside their passions, earthly passions, and lay down their lives. Offer your lives as a whole. Holy and living sacrifice. That is God's acceptable worship. And don't worry. Once I'm arrested and put in jail, the Lord can raise up both uh, Tim and David and Alan and others to continue the congregation. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because God is stirring up his gifts And we have nothing to fear, but to fear the Lord himself. Make sure what we're doing, what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're seeing with these eyes, are they pleasing to the Father's sight? Let us continue. Praise God. Also, right next door we have another book, and it's the book of Philemon. It also mentions this individual's name. See, the importance of this is that we know God's word and know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because I believe here in the near future, these very books, your cell phones, your laptops will be taken away from you. Wholly and completely. So Philemon, it's a huge book, right? It's only one chapter. Philemon and verse number 24. I'll start in 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, for the sake of Messiah Yeshua sends greetings to you, as do Mark and and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah be with your spirit. See, these were men who were just not casual friends. They were willing to take up this mantle upon themselves and proclaim the good news without fear or trembling so now let's go back to acts chapter 27 continuing at verse number 20 number 3 the next day we landed in Zidon and juliusly concernedly, allowed shaul to go visit his friends and receive what he needed Putting to sea from there, we sailed close to the sheltered side of Cyprus because the winds were against us. On the 23rd, I, I encouraged people to, to open up their Bibles to the maps. The maps are not anointed, but it tells you and gives you a visual picture of how they traveled going forward here. Verse 5, then across the open sea, along the coasts of Sicilia and Pamphia. And so we reached Myra and Lycia. The Roman officer found an Alexandrian vessel sailing towards Italy, and they put us aboard. For a number of days, we made little headway. We arrived off only to only with difficulty The wind would not let us continue any farther along the direct route. So we ran down along the sheltered side of Crete from Cape Salome. And continuing to struggle on, hugging the coast, we reached a place called Pleasant Harbor near the town of Lyssee. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful place? But they're going through High winds, hurricane type winds. So, verse 9. Since much time had been lost, continuing the voyage was risky because it was already past the fast in most translations. But, Rabbi, what's the fast? That's Yom Kippur. See, it's significant that this is placed here. Why? Because it's speaking not only to the nations, but also to the Jewish people. It was already past Yom Kippur, literally past the fast. It's a matter, of course, that Luke writes of the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This is evidence that Shaul continued observing his Jewish practices in keeping the law until the end of his life. Where are the proof texts here? I will give them to you. And you can look them up at a latter time. There are Acts chapter 16 verse 3. Acts chapter 17.2. Acts chapter 18.18. 18. Acts chapter 20, verse 6. Acts chapter 21, 23 through 27. Acts chapter 25, 8. And finally, Acts chapter 28, 17. Now back to the journey. Shipping became increasingly risky after mid-September. And was rarely engaged in after mid-October, because of the likelihood of storms. See, they knew the times and the seasons. These sailors, this pilot, the captain of the ship, they knew what they were doing. They could read the signs of the times and be prepared for it. But there are some times that they're pushed to the edge, and they ignored the signs of the times. What are believers in Messiah doing today? Are we recognizing the signs and the times that Yeshua warned? Have you ever stopped to think that Rav Shaul and all the apostles of the Brit Hadasha wrote about the last days, that they would be perilous times? Did not Yeshua say that they would have to be reduced? Otherwise, no one, no mankind person would even survive. Should we not be aware also? Or are you listening to what Fox News say? Or CNN? You know that they all have an agenda? And what is that agenda? To gather and keep an audience. This agenda Word, the Bible, has been established, written, and sealed so that we would not be deceived. Are we allowing ourselves to be deceived? Are we spending time meditating on His Word? There's a lot of excellent books out there, but you ever painstakingly, when you read a book that's about the Bible, investigate what is said on that page and then turn to the back where they have footnotes and then examine them and then look at all all the scriptures and then go to your Bible and if you have a reference Bible, then go and look at those verses and then look at the references to it. That's what the men of Berea did. They searched the scriptures. They did not have the capability of cell phones that you can have the Tanakh on. Or the Brit Shah. They did not have laptops. They did not have desktop computers. So what's our excuse? <clears throat> Aren't we commanded to read and meditate on God's word daily? Is that not our spiritual food? Otherwise, Satan, what he does, he causes uh, tribulation and surus in our lives. And then we turn into our old ways, do we Not. We get into battle with our fellow human beings over certain issues. But what is the most greatest issue in their lives is for them to come to know Messiah, for us to proclaim the good news. Did he not say, now go forth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh? Are we doing that work today? This was Rav Shaul's journey. He was to go before the emperor in Rome and proclaim the good news and not pull punches. Not to win people's favor. Not to manipulate them in any shape or form. But to simply present Yeshua as he is. And seeing Yeshua's life being lived out in his life Daily. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, Yom Kippur can occur between September 14th and October 14th. This year, Rev Yom Kippur Day of Atonement, all vows starts on 5.40 p.m. Jerusalem, Shabbat candle lighting time in the land of Israel. October 4th, the 10th of Tishri Yom Kippur The Day of Atonement begins at sundown, October the 4th, and continues to October the 5th until sundown at 655. For Jewish believers, Yom Kippur has a different significance than for an average unbeliever. A Messianic Jew knows that the Messiah, by his death on behalf of sinners... Turn with me to Yohanan, John 3.16. John 3.16. Most of you would say, I don't even need to turn there, Rabbi. I know it by heart. That's great. You should know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life. Instead, of utterly being destroyed, do you ever share that latter part with people? How many sporting events you've seen where they've had on guys' shirts or baseball caps or little signs, John three sixteen, John three sixteen? They talk about for God so loved the world, but the part there, the latter part there, and I'll read it to you again. Read the whole thing so you can hear it a second time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed, utterly separated from loving Abba Father God because of the rejection of his one only representative Being Yeshua. You know, there are evangelical churches, there are Baptist churches, and there are seminaries and Bible colleges that if they interview the professor or the president of that college, and they're pressed, do Muslims believe in the same God? And under the pressure and the scrutiny of not being liked, the professors are saying, yes. They're saying yes. And that's why the Roman Catholic Church in 1994, part of their catechism, declared the Pope at that time that all Muslims believe in the same God because are they not the descendants of Abraham see how the scripture gets twisted and so from that day forward they said this we do not need to proclaim the good news to Muslim people anymore that's the reality how many ways are there to the father one, do all Jewish people who are not saved need to become born again? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's what part of the evangelical churches, the Protestant churches, are teaching. That, oh, they're Jews, and through Abraham's coattails, they will be ushered into the kingdom. That is a blatant lie of deception. That's truly hatred and anti-Semitism at a great degree. Denying them the hope of their Messiah. Rav Sheol, as we've gone through the book of Acts and all these other men and women who had proclaimed the good news and suffered because of it, were willing to be mistreated and beaten, even put to death by their own Jewish people so that they would hear the truth I believe that we're going ushering the days here in America where this is going to be taking place and God's holy remnant and when this, these persecutions start to begin there will be people fleeing from these so-called congregations as never before why? Because they haven't counted the cost. They haven't embraced Yeshua on a daily basis. So don't be amazed. You know what it says in the Word? That God is calling for a remnant from the Jewish people, and also He's calling a remnant from the nations. It's amazing, when you go through the book of Revelation, after the abomination that leads to desolation, the anti-Messiah reveals himself. During that period, right after, two-thirds of the world's Jewish population will be put to death. This will far exceed what has taken place during the Shoah. Who speaks of this? Zechariah and Hosea. And what does it say? That one third will flee from Jerusalem and go to Petra, where the Lord has already set up provision for them. And it's that one third of the world's Jewish population when they cry out, Baruch Habab, and Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then the Lord will what? He will come back with his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one of the Messiah. And then they will mourn. It says that the Lord will give them a heart of supplication, brokenness. And then he will heal them. And in Romans, where Rav Shaul says, that day, all Israel, and think of this, two-thirds have been put to death. One-third yet remains. All Israel shall be saved. That's a holy remnant. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to salvation. And who is salvation but Yeshua Himself? So going forward here. Romans chapter three verses twenty-one through twenty-six. Let's turn there now. If you haven't heard me say that earlier, Romans three twenty-one. but now quite apart from Torah, God's way of making people righteous in his sight has been made clear. Although the Torah and the prophets give their witness to it as well. And it is a righteousness that comes from God through faithfulness of Yeshua the Messiah to all who continue trusting. For it makes no difference whether one is a Jew or Gentile. Since all have sinned, And come short of earning God's praise. By God's grace without earning it. Are all granted the status of being considered righteous before him. Through the act of redeeming us from our enslavement to sin. Not to mankind. But to sin. That was accomplished by the Messiah Yeshua. It's all been accomplished In and through him and him alone. God put Yeshua forward as the kapara for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his bloody sacrificial death. This vindicated God's righteousness because in his forbearance he has passed over with neither punishment nor remission the sins. People have committed in the past. Aren't you glad that you've been covered and washed by the blood of the Lamb? Doesn't that give you great joy in your hearts? And so when we go and we proclaim the good news to unbelieving Jews and Messiah and unbelieving Gentiles and Messiah, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, be inspired by the joy and the cleanliness that the Lord has placed within you. And does not First John one nine say, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness"? It's yes, Amen. Let us continue here in Romans 5 8, right next door. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that Messiah died on our behalf while we were yet still sinners. You want to take that a little bit further than just sinners? Enemies of God. Will God allow his enemies to dwell with him in heaven? Repentant enemies, yes. But non-repentant enemies, no. Let's go forward here. Praise be unto God. So Messiah, by his death on all sinners, has become our kapara, our atonement, literally our covering. This word is kippur. For this reason, no further sacrifices or sin are necessary. And this is the subject of Messianic Jews, Hebrews. And I'm not going to have us read or turn to Hebrews chapter 7, chapters 8, chapters 9, and chapters 10. But we'll complete today by reading Hebrews chapter 7. See, this is your homework. Rabbi, you're giving out homework today. That's right. Why? Because we're to know God's word and meditate on his word. And you know, the joy of reading God's word, this is only merely uh, four chapters. In my Bible here, it's, it's only eight pages. Are you willing to set aside time with the Lord to go ahead and read his word? Or is that TV program more important to you? Or you fill in the blank. Whatever that is. Are you meditating on God's word daily? Are you hiding it in your heart so that you will not displease your heavenly father and sin against him and your brothers and sisters in Messiah? I heard a latest Barna report that just recently came out. It says that of Americans believe that the word of God is God-inspired. 9% of Americans believe that the word of God is the inspired word of God. Is that not a remnant? And then he also took another poll. 17% of all born again believers in America, believe that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. Is that not also a remnant? That's the reality, my brothers and sisters, we're living in. I Jews, Hebrews chapter 7. This is Melchizedek, king of Salem, a Kohen of God, Ha HaElyon, met Avraham on his way back from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Also, Avraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, of all that by the trans- translation by his name, he is the king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. There is no record of his father or his mother, his ancestry, birth, or death. Rather, like the Son of God, he continues as a Kohen, a priest for all time. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Avraham gave him a tenth of the choice of spoils. Now the descendants of Levi, who became Kohanim, have a commandment in the Torah to take a tenth of the income of the people, that is, from their own brothers, despite the fact that they too are descended from Abraham. But Melchizedek, even though he was not descended from Levi, took a tenth from Abraham. Also he blessed Abraham, the man who received God's promises, and is beyond all dispute that the one who blesses has higher status than the one who receives the blessing. Moreover, in the case of the Koine, the tenth is received by the men who die, while in the case of Melchizedek, it is received by someone who is testified to be still alive. One might even go further to say that Levi, who himself received tenths, paid a tenth through Avraham, insomuch as he was his ancestor, Avraham's body when Melchizedek met him. Therefore it had to be it would have had been possible to reach the goal through the system of the Koinim, derived from Levi, since the connection with it, the people were given the Torah. What needed would there be been for another, a different kind of a Kohen priest? one spoken to as being compared to Melchizedek, not to be compared with Aharon, Aaron. For if this system of koinim is transferred, there must be necessity occur in the transformation of the Torah. The one about whom these things are said belongs to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. That's speaking of Yeshua from the tribe of Judah. For everyone knows that the Lord arose out of Yehuda, Judah, and that Moshe said nothing about this tribe when he spoke about the Kohenim. It becomes even clearer in the in a different kind of Kohen priest, like Melchizedek arises, one who becomes a Kohen, not by virtue of rule in the Torah concerning the physical descent, but by virtue of the power of the indestructible life. For it is stated, you are my kohen forever. You are my priest forever, to be compared with Melchizedek. Where's that from? Psalm 104. Thus, on one hand, the earlier rule is set aside because of its weakness. And Psalm 110. 1104. Thank you, Alan. In see to the Torah, do not bring anything to the goal. On the other hand, a hope of something better is introduced, through which we are drawing near to God. See, that's what our Torah portion was earlier, was it not? The Lord desired that all his people would draw near to them, to him, but they were afraid. So going forward here, what is more, God swore an oath, for no oath was sworn in connection with those who became Koanim now. But Yeshua became Kohen, priest, by oath, which God swore when he said to him, Adonai has sworn and will not change his mind, you are my Kohen forever. Psalm 110.4. Isn't it amazing? That verse is recited twice in this chapter. Continuing, also this shows how much better is the covenant, which Yeshua is the guarantor. Moreover, the the present Kohenim, are many a number because they are prevented by death from continuing in the office. But because he lives forever, his position as a Kohen, a priest, does not pass on to someone else. Think about that. Your eternal high priest, Yeshua, he has no replacement. Why? He lives forever. He brings his own precious blood that is poured out on the altar and then is applied to us also for our forgiveness of sins and consequently he is totally able to deliver those who approach God through him since he is alive forever and thus forever able to intercede on their behalf this is the kind of Kohen Gadol that meets our need holy, without evil without stain set apart from sinners and raised higher than the heavens one who does not have the daily necessity like all other koinim, of offering up sacrifices, first for their own sins and only then for those of the people because he offered one sacrifice once and for all by offering up himself. For the Torah appoints a koinim, men who have weaknesses. But the text which speaks about the swearing of an oath, a text written later, than the Torah appoints a son who has been brought to the goal forever. And you know what's another amazing? One of the questions that was asked during this recent Barna poll that they found that there were 17% of born-again believers believe that the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah are the inspired word of God and also the 9% of American citizens that believe that the uh, word of God is inspired by God all the others as with this group was asked this question did Yeshua did Jesus live a sinless life the only ones that answered yes were the 7% of American citizens and only 17% of the born again believers That's the state we are now in. And when you think of the book of Revelation and when Yeshua descended to those congregations and revealed to them that he's walking amongst their menorahs, their candlesticks, their lamps. And he calls them to what? Repentance. He's calling his holy remnant today to repentance. The question now is, are we repenting? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shabbat shalom.